0: One time for the underdog one time for the underdog Let me see you put them up Reach the sky, touch the stars up above, cause it's one time for the underdog one for the underdog. I'm Patrick be your host of Value Tim, and today we're going to talk about Brexit and how it could affect your pocket, your money, your investments, because the second largest financial capital of the world is a city called London, and Brexit has to do with London, and London and Brexit has to do with the market. So, some happens to Brexit, odds are something's going to happen to your funds. What is Brexit? Well, Brexit is British exiting EU so Britain wants to leave EU and be their own country right now what is EU EU is European Union you keep hearing about it but you now sometimes you hear something and you kind of think you know what it is but you never question what it is because you don't want to act like maybe I don't know this stuff so I just kind of act like I know what EU is who's even in the EU I don't even know what's in the EU how did even EU get started how long has EU been around so Brexit is Britain exiting EU, EU is European Union. So what is the purpose of starting EU, right? We keep hearing about it, but why did they start EU? It's very simple. It's actually two reasons. Number one reason was peace, because they had just come out of war again, World War I from 1914 to 1918 cost them 17 million lives. And then they have the second war from 1939, World War II to 1945, 70 million lives. They're sitting around saying, you know how many family members I've lost? How many friends I've lost? How many colleagues, peers? We do not want to go through another World War III. So number one reason was peace. The second reason was economical. What if all of our nations collectively can start working together and creating one market? And this idea was pitched by Robert Schumann, the former Prime Minister of France. Here's what he said when he came out with this idea of ECSC in 1951. He said the treaty is created with the idea to make war not only unthinkable, but materially impossible. So they wanted to make it mathematically impossible to have another war. And on top of that, they created this treaty to create a common market for coal and steel among its member states, which served to neutralize competition. Remember that keyword we're going to come back to it neutralize competition between european nations over natural resources so very simple you got two reasons one you got peace the other one you got economical right so they came out with the ecsc in 1951 Established by Treaty of Paris, signed by six nations, Belgium, France, Italy, Luxembourg, Netherlands, and West Germany. Then that transitioned into 1957, which was a Treaty of Rome. The idea of Treaty of Rome was to make it a single market, which means, you know, I can do business in Germany. It's not really another country. You know, it's pretty much the same, like right now I'm in US, and if I want to do business in Mexico, I have to go get established in Mexico, then I have to do business in Mexico. It's very complicated for me to go through it. The Treaty of Rome was, "Look, if you want to come do business over, it's easy. It's not going to be that complicated." Then they did that in 1957, and eventually, in 1993, E.U. was created. So if you look up, when did EU get created, The actual year is 1993. right? So that's the history of why they started EU and how they started EU. Now the next question some people ask is Pat. It's a simple question. Who's part of the EU today? How many total nations are there? It's 28 different countries, and here's a list of countries. you got Austria, Belgium, Bulgaria, Croatia, Cyprus, Denmark, Estonia, Czech Republic, Finland, France, Germany, Greece, Hungary, Ireland, Italy, Latvia, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Malta, Netherlands, Poland, Portugal, Romania, Slovakia, Spain, Sweden, and last but not least, United Kingdom. Those are the 28 countries. Now the next question is, when they voted for Brexit, what did they vote like? Here's what they voted like. 51.9% voted to leave 48.1% voted to stay but the question is who wants to stay who wants to leave because when you look at united kingdom it's really four different countries you got northern ireland which does not want to leave they want to stay blue means they want to stay you got scotland who has no reason to want to leave. They want to stay because they need the EU, and Wales wants to stay. But if you look at the red, England wants to leave, right? So that's how it was voted. By the way, old voted to leave, young wants to stay. That's how the demographics looks like when it came down to voting for Brexit. But they voted for it, and the vote is 51.9% want to leave the EU. Okay, so now you may be watching and saying, well, Pat, if the vote was dramatically... 70-30 Brexit, I get it, but it's only 51.9% to 48.1%, so the people that don't want to leave, there's got to be obvious reason for it, and there's benefits to it, and the people that want to leave, there's got to be benefits there. So what are the benefits of leaving and staying? So let's focus on that. First thing we're going to talk about is the benefits of staying and not Brexiting. Staying part of the EU, the number one benefit that a lot of the young keep talking about is the idea and the freedom to live, travel, work, retire anywhere in Europe. So think about it. Living in U.S., you want to go somewhere, you want to come into U.S., how hard it is to get a visa, right? So in Europe, because of the EU, I don't need a visa to go in Croatia. Let's just say I live in Croatia, I want to go work at Belgium. I don't need to get an approval, I don't need to get a work permit, I don't need to do any of that stuff. I can go work there, I can go live there, I can go retire in a different place. And I don't have anything to constantly have to worry about, passport, any of that stuff. Travel-wise, it's very simple, it's very basic to do. The concern is, if they Brexit, some of the British people that are living abroad or living in another place, what happens to them? What's the technicalities of that? How is that going to be handled? Those are some of the concerns they have. That's why they're saying, let you stay. Next one is, it's been estimated that 3.1 million British jobs are linked to... UK export to the EU, meaning other nations outside of UK, what are they going to do with that 3.1 million jobs? Many EU company headquarters, like I said earlier, reside in London, which may have to leave if Brexit takes place, because then how does that work out? Are you going to let me stay now? I don't have the whole willing to work or retire, have headquarters anywhere. Maybe I'm not going to be in London anymore. Maybe I want to take myself back to Germany, back to France, back to Italy, back to a lot of these places, and that could affect... So many tens, if not hundreds of thousands of jobs in London and UK, do they want to risk that? Next, less likely to get ripped off. This is why it's less likely to get ripped off. Because one of the things about EU is, there's a level of accountability when you're buying the products from each other, because the accountability, the organization that holds everybody accountable is EU. So. There's less likelihood to get ripped off when you're buying a product. And collectively, they become the third largest military in the world. Individually, they wouldn't be and be a bigger threat going back to war worries of another war getting started. So that's that's the benefits of staying. And by the way, there's a, there's a longer list of benefits staying. I'm just giving you a few of them here for you to be thinking about. Now, the benefits of leaving the EU and not staying. Here's some of them. Number one, create your own economy. Because right now, every time... U.K. wants to do business deal with China or with U.S., they have to go through EU to get it approved. But if they separate and they create their own economy, they can negotiate with U.S., with China, without needing EU's approval due to trade agreements. That doesn't need to be taking place. Now they can do it on their own, right? The second thing, immigration. This is kind of a, a technical because we're dealing with some of this in America, but in Europe it's a whole different story. Here's what the concern is with some of the folks in UK that are voting to Brexit. immigration. This allows UK to choose the number of immigrants they accept to come and live in UK rather than being forced by EU. because. You know, somebody may watch this and say, well, that's not fair because the EU doesn't force UK to take immigrants. Well, if you remember how the EU works, say UK doesn't. But if I go to another country that's part of the EU, say I go to Germany, say I go to Austria, say I go to Belgium, and they accept an immigrant, and all of a sudden I'm part of the EU, that means I can travel and go and work and live anywhere, right? So, maybe UK is not forced to take those immigrants, but maybe the immigrant could start from another country and then go to UK because that's a better hub in London, and then London takes a hit for it and they don't want that risk. They want to control them and say, nope, you're not welcome here, this is not you, we don't want you here, right? And I know that kind of may sound cold to some of you guys because I, as an Iranian immigrant, I went to Germany at a refugee camp from Germany, came out here, but UK, those that want to vote for Brexit, that's one of the things they want the freedom to be able to say, we don't want any immigrants, we, have, we want to have a limit, or we want to have a control on who can come here. Next one, create their own identity. They don't want to be in someone's shadow. They don't want to be, hey, we're one of the 28 countries in the EU. No, we're UK. We're a 2,000-year-old empire, British empire. Why do we need someone's help today? We don't need someone's help. And then uh, the other point is that you keep hearing about Boris Johnson, the new prime minister, who's very, very vocal. He says the UK sends 350 million pounds a week to the EU. Why are we doing that? That's 350 million pounds a week to the EU. Matter of fact, his campaign bus had that number on the bus. And here's what he's recorded to say recently. He said no ifs, no buts. We are leaving on October 31st. That's what Boris Johnson has said. We're leaving. We're Brexiting. And he's the Prime Minister. So, having said that, I want to share with you some of my thoughts as an entrepreneur, how I view this whole Brexit, EU, is it a good idea, is it not, and then you can process it any way you want. I'm just giving you my perspective on what I see happening with Brexit. So first things first, think about it this way. When you and I are afraid, what do we do? Do we make risky decisions or safe decisions, right? We typically make safe decisions. Think about, you just went through this war, what do you want to do? The first thing you're going to vote for is what? Look, I just want to make sure my family's safe. You don't think about vision, what if one day better opportunity, better jobs, better innovation. Better? All you think about is safety for my kids, safety for myself, I want to be okay, right? So for some po- folks that are watching here that are living in America saying, I don't really know what Brexit is close to. You know, comparing it to. So Robert Schumann, who was a French prime minister who came up with the idea of ECSC, hey, let's bring everybody together, let's eliminate war permanently, and let's neutralize competition and bring everyone together. Robert Schumann is the equivalent of FDR during Great Depression. When Great Depression took place, market crashed. Joseph Kennedy, market manipulation, whatever you want to call it, jobs, Ford, all this other stuff. FDR came, he said, we're offering Social Security, regulated the industries, brought down minimum wage. He says, everyone's going to have a minimum wage. He's the first president that announced minimum wage. 25 cents an hour was the minimum wage. He made all these Ford and all these other companies, raise their minimum wage, lower the hours, vacation time, all this other stuff. Regulation, regulation, regulation. And people are like, oh my gosh, I feel so much safer. So at that time, FDR was a hero. Because it was such a scary time in America, and at this time, right after this, it was such a scary time for European leaders, that they themselves said, man, what a great leader Robert Schuman is, he's bringing us peace of mind, we're for this, and so six countries signed the Treaty of Paris, let's come together and do this. So I, so I fully understand their fear. When I was in Iran in war and we're getting bombed, we're not thinking about when well, am I one day going to go to a great private school and build a business and maybe one day my dream. I'm all I'm thinking about is that. Are we going to be safe? Are we going to live? That's all my dad's thinking about. It's safety, secure, fear. We're just thinking safety, right? So I fully understand the reasoning of starting EU. Now, having said that, if you look at 1951 when the European Coal and Steel Community was created, coal and steel. 1951, right, coal, big deal, everybody needed coal, let's keep families warm, we gotta make sure it's safe, we gotta make sure we're warm, families, right? Warm, coal, great. Do you know Guardian wrote an article May 31st of the 2019, this year, talking about the fact that Britain went, first time ever since 1882, they went two weeks without using any coal, and they got their gas, relying 100% on the gas they got from Norway, and by the way, just so you know, Norway is not part of the EU. They voted twice to be part of the EU, and both times they said, no, I think one was in 1972 and one was in 1994, and they voted for this, right? So they're sitting there saying, well, maybe today's different times, you know, when we're looking at the coal and steel, why do we need that today? And when you look at their steel relationships for, you know, Britain, where they're getting their steel from right now, number one country they're getting it from is a European country. When you're looking at, they're saying, okay. You still do need some of these countries that were were using for coal, meaning Germany, then Belgium, then Netherlands, then Spain. But then there's China, there's Turkey, then you have France, Italy. So if they really wanted to get their steel outside as well, they could probably get it if, let's just say, they Brexit, and some of the EU com- countries said, we're not going to do business with you, which I highly doubt that's going to be taking place. So I also understand what they're thinking about to say, look, 1951, yes, maybe it makes sense to be part of the EU. 1957, okay, fine, maybe we do need to have a single market, fine, fine, we need each other, I get it. And in 1993, EU, Ah, whatever, fine, we created it. But today, maybe we want to get out. Here's why we want to get out. Because when Robert Schuman created this whole thing, it was about neutralizing competition. And what happens when you neutralize competition? Here's what happens when you neutralize competition. Think about it this way, Europe, EU, 28 countries combined. 508 million people live in there right it'd be the third largest country in the world 508 China India and it would be EU if it was a country right US is 328 million and and they have more access to people to create advancement right but because you neutralize competition and that's the idea there's no competition when's the last time you heard about an incredible creative technology company or even community of that being created in the eu when's the last time you heard about it now somebody may say well what about spotify you know Uh, what about the guy you know uh, spotify thing is sweden or the, the siri guy is he created the technology for apple from there yeah but okay great Go look at some of the major companies in EU. There are companies that have been around for a while. It's oil companies. It's companies that are like, oh, I know this company, but it's for such a long time. So where is the innovation? Why is that not taking place? Maybe because we need competition. Here's another point for you, that EU forces the employer to give every employee five weeks of vacation time, not including the national holidays, which is another two weeks. So, five weeks, not including the national holidays, which is another two weeks, that's seven weeks. So, take seven weeks out of 52 weeks out, that loses momentum, which in the US, we don't do five weeks. We do two weeks. Give that additional three weeks times your population of people living there, how much more opportunities is there for innovation? So maybe Boris Johnson is saying, look, I don't want to deal with it, with it like that, right? I just don't. I want to see us competing for ourselves and making a name for ourselves. Now, the other side is also to keep in mind that if this does take place, the top contributors right now to the EU, number one is Germany. They put in 21.11% of the entire budget. Then it's France 164 then it's Italy 13.64, then it's UK 13.05. So UK's number four in the amount of money they put into it, right? You've heard Boris Johnson say they pay 350 million pounds a week to the EU. So you hear a number like that. 13.05% that they're putting into it. Fair? Watch this. If UK pulls out and they say we're out of Brexit, we're out of it. My bother everybody's saying they're doing it because of what Boris Johnson is saying. But if UK is actually officially out, that'll cost Germany an additional four billion, uh, billion euros per year and France another three billion. And it will cost Italy another two and a half billion per year to fund into EU. So, what does that really mean? Here's what it could really mean a couple things. One, so UK, Brexit takes place, they leave, okay? All of a sudden, it's like you being at a bar and you typically shared the tab with everybody. And one of the guys that pays the most, he leaves. Now you have to pay even more for everybody. So you have to sit there and say, look, we're Germany. We're big. We're powerful. You know what, guys? We're out as well. We'll help you guys out and everything, but we want to leave as well. If Germany, France, these guys decide to leave, now it's a whole different thing. Now you're talking about EU goes from being 28 to possibly a lot less than that. Then there's going to be a lot of challenges for funding and money, because and the smaller nations cannot afford to put a lot of money into it. So, No one really knows what could be taking place, and a final thought to be thinking about, because if you go and watch what the grandson, uh, Churchill's grandson said, they asked him, they said, if your grandfather was here right now, what would he say about Brexit? He says, he would absolutely be against it. Now, some people say, because Boris Johnson wrote a book about Churchill, and one of the things that he and I, he and uh, Churchill both have in common is they're both journalists, and they both became PMs, and they're both pretty hated type of personalities. Not everybody loves Churchill, by the way. Churchill's a guy that counted on when war happened to go up against, you know, the, the, the Germans and all these other things that was taking place out there during World War II, but they didn't like him too much, right, because he has strong opinions. Churchill once was for the United States of Europe, right, but he was also the same guy that says, we are for Europe, but not of it, meaning we're for Europe, but well, we're not of it, we, we stand alone, we, we're our own nation, we have our own identity, so there's contradictions and a lot of ambiguity in his message on what he said. Some people said he wouldn't be for Brexit, Some people said he would be. But here's the moral of the story. What I can tell you is the following. Times have changed. Before, it was a lot of manual labor. A lot of manual labor. Who can work hard, oil. A lot of companies, uh, countries were rich because of natural resources. Just pure luck. You have oil, you're rich. Okay, good for you, but you don't know what to do with it, right? There's a lot of that going on today. I think it was TEDx conference, that was 10 years ago, and they said the number one resource right now everybody wants is data. It's data, data, data. Everything's about data. You got data, you're winning. And today it's about data. It's no longer just manual labels, thinkers. So maybe UK is sitting there saying, look, due to globalization, we don't feel like we need EU like we did back in 1951. We don't feel like we need EU like we did in 1957. We don't even think we need EU at, like we did in 1993. because. Globalization with internet and all this stuff wasn't really here like it is today. We think we can do it on our own. But regardless of all this stuff taking place, there's one thing I can't tell you. Typically there's a lot of war that takes place due to ideologies, right? You know, We believe in this. We believe in this. No, you're wrong. Let's go war. Right? And all these wars take place. Today, the, the market is so fickle because of what's going on with trade war with China. What's going on with Wall Mexico trade there? What's going on with Brexit? If that happens, UK's going to take a hit, and London is the number two financial you know, capital of the world. There's a lot of things that are cooking right now. A lot. And it can either go good, or it can either go very bad. But it's not going to be you know, staying in the middle here. There's going to be some major shakeup, and again, I'll give you the good news and bad news. The bad news is, some people are gonna lose big time. And the good news is, some people are gonna make big time.